The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Minds of Madness podcast. Listener discretion is advised. It's the kind of rhetorical question asked in jest, expressing pleasant surprise when someone has a change in behavior or attitude. But what if it wasn't a rhetorical question? What if someone believed their spouse had been replaced by someone else, an imposter, a lookalike? Suddenly, who are you and what have you done with my wife takes a much darker and more sinister tone. Join me now as we look at the tragic and bizarre murder of Caroline Coffey. You'll hear how an incredibly rare mental disorder was blamed for distorting her husband's perception of reality, causing a psychotic break. Or was he just a cold-blooded killer who invented a convenient excuse? In the heart of upstate New York lies one of America's truly hidden gems, the city of Ithaca. Located at the southern end of Cayuga Lake, it's a cosmopolitan oasis among the breathtaking rural landscape and seasonal beauty of the Finger Lakes region. Central to the city's unique culture and character is Cornell University, an Ivy League school that has attracted some of the most brilliant minds from every corner of the globe since 1865. Ithaca constantly ranks as one of America's best college towns and is often called the Little Apple by locals, meaning it has all the good of New York City, but none of the bad. It's big city vibrance wrapped in a cozy blanket of small town charm. Imagine a portrait of Andy Warhol painted by Norman Rockwell and you start to get the idea. But it's not just what's in the city that makes it special, it's what's around. Glaciation during the last ice age created a unique topography of gorges, lakes, rivers, and hills. More than a hundred waterfalls located within just 10 miles of downtown. In short, it's a veritable outdoor paradise. It was this uncommon blend of recreation and research that attracted two Cornell students, Caroline Coffey and Blaget Cott, to Ithaca, New York. In 2009, 28-year-old Caroline Coffey was a postdoctoral researcher at Cornell's College of Veterinary Medicine. After completing her PhD in Comparative Biomedical Sciences in 2007, she was now a respected and promising young researcher working to find a cure for cancer. The work she was doing at Cornell in the race to find a cure was on the absolute cutting edge of what was possible to accomplish using stem cells. Caroline's newlywed husband was 24-year-old Blaget Cott, a computer whiz from New Zealand who was pursuing his doctorate in information science. Beyond academics, the couple took advantage of the outdoor lifestyle afforded by their surroundings in Ithaca. 
despite their overly busy schedules, they made it a priority to carve out some time each day for physical fitness. Routinely running along the myriad trails surrounding their apartment also gave them the added bonus of getting to spend some quality time together each day. One of their favorite places to run was Black Diamond Trail, conveniently located just behind their apartment. A popular eight and a half mile path with joggers, cyclists, and even cross country skiers in the winter. At its northern terminus lies Taganic Falls, with a single drop of 215 feet, the tallest waterfall east of the Rocky Mountains, three stories taller than Niagara Falls. There's no question that Taganic is one of Ithaca's most impressive and beautiful sights. It was also here. One of the most bizarre series of events in the town's history began to unfold. At 9.45 p.m. on the night of June 2, 2009, a New York State Park police officer named Gerald Lewis noticed a red Suzuki Forenza idling in the parking lot near the northern end of Black Diamond Trail, just several hundred yards away from the massive waterfall. Part of the state park, the parking lot officially closed after dark, prompting the officer to turn on his lights and pull up behind the vehicle, intending on simply asking the driver to move along. But when he turned on his spotlight, he could see the figure of a man slumped over in the driver's seat through the Suzuki's rear window. He could see the man was moving, fidgeting with something in the passenger seat, but he never once looked back or seemed to take any notice of the police car behind him. Getting out of his squad car, Officer Lewis approached the vehicle with his flashlight and took a cautious look inside. As he shined his light through the glass, he saw the man's left arm covered in what looked like dried blood. Even then, the man seemed completely oblivious, never looking in the officer's direction. Officer Lewis then tapped on the window, attempting to get a response from the driver, but there was no way he could have expected the response he was about to get. At the sound of the tapping, the driver instantly sat upright and threw the car into gear and floored the gas pedal. Spinning his tires and spraying up gravel, the driver sped out of the parking lot, careening over a grassy berm and onto the highway. Officer Lewis chased after the Suzuki and after calling in the vehicle description, state troopers and local sheriff's deputies also joined in the pursuit. Driving in excess of 90 miles per hour, the speeding car blew through stop signs while weaving dangerously across the road. After nearly five miles of the high-speed chase, traffic along the country roads finally forced the speeding car to slow down. And for a minute, it seemed as if the chase was about to come to a gradual and inevitable end. But out of nowhere, the car swerved left, completely over the center line, off the road and into a stand of trees, ending the chase just as suddenly as it had begun. But even though the chase had ended, it was still just the beginning of the night's mysterious events. When police reached the now-wrecked car, they immediately noticed several things. They saw the driver was now completely unconscious, dressed only in a bathrobe, and in his hand, he was clutching an open utility knife. Even more startling, however, was the massive amount of blood seeping from multiple slash wounds to his neck. 
It was obvious the wounds hadn't come from the wreck, but rather had recently been self-inflicted by the driver. After removing the knife from his hand, life-saving first aid was immediately provided by paramedics who had arrived at the scene. As the driver eventually gained consciousness, officers asked him to verify his identity after finding his wallet in the glove compartment. The name on the ID was spelt B-L-A-Z-E-J-K-O-T, but they had no clue how to pronounce it. He told the officers that Blagé caught was the correct pronunciation and then asked if they knew where his wife Caroline was. Through the haze of regaining consciousness, Blagé also mentioned he and his wife had just received their wedding photos earlier that day and asked if they'd check on her to make sure she was alright. As time passed and Blagé continued regaining lucidity, he also grew increasingly distressed and upset and by the time a helicopter arrived to airlift him to a hospital, he was screaming that he wanted to die. As Blagé was taken away, officers headed to the couple's apartment to perform a welfare check. But when they arrived, another surprise lay in store for them. The apartment was on fire. After Ithaca firefighters arrived on the scene and extinguished the flames, they could tell it had been set deliberately. And even more disturbing was that Caroline was nowhere in sight. Caroline Coffey was originally born in Dublin, Ireland in 1980 to parents Michael and Patricia. When she was just two years old, her family immigrated to the U.S. and settled outside of Scranton, Pennsylvania. Caroline excelled academically and attended Scranton Prep, a prestigious area private school that boasted U.S. congressmen, a governor, and a current U.S. senator as alumni. After prep school, Caroline attended the University of Scranton. She chose biology as her major and began participating in undergraduate research alongside her mentor, Dr. Michael Solozinski. Even as an undergrad, Caroline's research ability was on full display when some of her work appeared in the American Society of Microbiology Journal, an impressive feat and something Dr. Solozinski called extremely unusual. After graduating from Scranton, Caroline began graduate studies at Cornell, where she skipped her master's degree entirely and began pursuing her PhD in medical science straight away. By 2007, Caroline had earned her doctorate and became a postdoctoral researcher at Cornell, working with stem cells to find a cure for cancer. Around the same time Caroline was finishing up her doctorate is when she began dating Blagé Cott, a fellow PhD candidate at Cornell, more than three years her junior. Unlike Caroline, Blagé had become disillusioned and disappointed by his doctoral program, and by the time they began dating, Blagé had already decided to step back and take a break from his PhD pursuit. Instead, he began working at a promising tech startup called Predictive Systems that had been founded by one of his friends, Peter Brodsky. But working in tech wasn't exactly a respite from his academic pursuits. Remember, this was 2007, the same year the iPhone was introduced and the entire tech industry was accelerating at a whirlwind pace. 
At Predictive Systems, Blage routinely worked 60 to 80 hours each week. However, despite the crazy hours, Blage and Caroline's relationship continued to blossom, and within months of dating, they began discussing the possibility of moving in together, and Caroline began talking about the possibility of marriage. In June 2008, Blaget's performance at Predictive began to take a nosedive. According to his friend Peter Brodsky, Blaget had started drinking excessively, missing work, and dramatically cutting back on the number of hours he was working. This was particularly alarming for Brodsky because Predictive Systems' product launch date was fast approaching. Perhaps predictably, Blaget's professional implosion ultimately led to an extremely poor product launch. Brodsky blamed the failure on Blaget's inadequate work, and before long, Blaget was asked to take a leave of absence or offer his resignation. Blaget chose to leave the company and never spoke to his boss and former friend again. Blaget and Caroline were married in October 2008 at a small civil ceremony. The wedding had been a bit of a wake-up call for Blaget, and he realized it was time to do some soul-searching. He quit his PhD, no longer had a promising job at a budding tech startup, not to mention he just married an accomplished woman whose professional career was skyrocketing. If Blaget didn't get his act together soon, Caroline would fly into orbit, leaving him behind, stuck on the launch pad. In January 2009, Blaget decided to resume his doctoral program at Cornell and was said to be enthusiastic about the decision. He and Caroline also decided they wanted to have a fairy tale destination ceremony to commemorate their wedding. The couple decided on Costa Rica and invited their closest friends and family to join them on May 2nd. A professional photographer was hired, and in their wedding photos, the bride and groom are posed on the beach, looking extraordinarily happy and very much in love. On June 2nd, 2009, exactly one month after the wedding, the professional photos they had taken in Costa Rica finally arrived. Caroline was so excited, she began uploading the new photos to a Facebook album the very same night. When she was done, she proudly posted on her personal page, Professional wedding photos are up. Guests, check yourself out and tag. No one could have known, however, that while friends and family were seeing the photos for the first time, liking, commenting, and happily tagging themselves, that same night, Ithaca police would be desperately searching for the bride who'd posted them, and the groom airlifted to a Pennsylvania hospital. The morning after Blaget's police chase and apartment fire, police organized a massive air and ground search for missing Caroline. But shortly after the search began, a cyclist and jogger, not part of the search, reported a gruesome discovery on Black Diamond Trail. They'd discovered Caroline lying lifeless on her back alongside the trail. A mere 400 yards from the front door of her apartment, she was dressed in black running pants and a white t-shirt, which was now covered in her own blood. The massive amount of blood had come from a deep and fatal slash across her throat, a slash 
which severed most of the blood vessels in her neck, including her carotid artery. A forensic pathologist would later estimate that death would have occurred in under two minutes from this type of wound. Above Caroline's right eye was also a severe injury, suspected to have been caused by a blunt object, while her right forearm bore defensive bruises, from where she'd apparently attempted to fend off her attacker. After Caroline's body was discovered, police promptly placed Blaget under arrest, charging him with second-degree murder while he was still recovering from emergency surgery in his hospital bed. Blaget was immediately assigned a lawyer by the Tompkins County Office of Assigned Counsel, but far from receiving a rookie, overworked, or otherwise undesirable public defender, by some turn of fortune, Blaget was assigned perhaps the best and certainly one of the most respected defense lawyers in all of Ithaca. By the time Joe Yoke was assigned to Blasey's case, he'd already been practicing trial law in New York for nearly 40 years. In fact, he'd been the county's district attorney an entire decade before Blasey was even born. But despite hitting the jackpot in the lawyer lottery, the evidence against Blasey was beginning to stack up quickly. Police had seized a mountain of evidence from Blasey's apartment, evidence he'd apparently been attempting to destroy by setting the apartment on fire. The evidence included a pair of his sneakers, stained with Caroline's blood, as well as burnt fragments of bloody clothing in the fireplace, a fire-damaged computer, a can of paint thinner used as an accelerant, as well as multiple blood stains throughout the apartment that were swabbed for DNA at the scene. But that wasn't all they discovered. When the computer was forensically examined, they also found some disturbing search history evidence. Sometime between 7.45 and 9.30, on the night of the murder, Blaget googled how to kill neck artery. The next search was for jugular vein. These pieces of evidence, combined with everything Blaget had done after the fact, like trying to destroy evidence, running from police, and attempting suicide, all left little doubt in anyone's mind that Blaget had murdered his wife. But the question no one could answer was why. They were happy, in love, and if there had been any red flags, nobody, not their family or friends, had seen a single one. In July, a little more than a month after Blaget's arrest, a forensic psychiatrist named Dr. Roy Hotalin was hired by the defense to examine Blaget. It was the first in what would become a series of four videotaped examinations that took place over the following year. During these interviews, Blaget described in detail exactly what had taken place on the day of Caroline's murder. But this wasn't the part that surprised the doctor the most. Through their conversations, Dr. Hotalin began to believe that Blaget had suffered from a bizarre rare and little understood mental disorder called Capgras syndrome, a disorder he believed had led to Caroline Coffey's murder. In 1984, Blaget was born to Polish parents Barbara and Lezek Kot in Zaire, now called the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Throughout Blaget's childhood, he fell ill often, including suffering two bouts of malaria before turning five. 
Blaget's family eventually left Zaire, returning to Poland before immigrating halfway around the world, settling permanently in New Zealand. Blaget's mother, a medical doctor, described Blaget as an intelligent, obedient, quiet and sensitive child, and the only source of conflict within the household seemed to have been intense arguments between Blaget and his father. According to the psychiatrist's interviews, by the time Blaget turned 15, he began experiencing wildly eccentric thoughts that he always kept to himself. He felt as though he was being watched, surveilled by cameras he believed were located in the electrical outlets of his house. Exactly who was watching him, or why, he didn't know. But he had a belief, one day he'd be hand-picked to become some kind of secret agent. His father would later testify at trial that Blaget always had an odd curiosity about electrical outlets, and it wasn't uncommon to find Blaget taking one apart and examining the insides. Blaget, it seems, wasn't simply curious. Rather, he was trying to find the hidden cameras. Despite certain eccentricities, nobody in Blaget's life ever seemed to notice that something might be amiss. Perhaps everyone simply chalked it up to the normal quirkiness you might expect from a child of unusually high intelligence. However, Dr. Hotalin began to believe that Blaget had been unknowingly living with a schizotypal personality disorder. After graduating from Auckland University, Blaget moved to Ithaca to attend Cornell. And while he'd been shy and quiet throughout high school, friends at Cornell say he came out of his shell at college becoming fairly well-adjusted socially. However, in the year preceding Caroline's murder, Blaget began experiencing an excessive amount of stress. The startup failure, the wedding, re-pursuing his PhD, and when the stress began to mount up, the cracks began to show. In the lead-up to their Costa Rican wedding, Blaget and Caroline began taking a regimen of the anti-malarial drug chloroquine, they were also required to keep taking the drug for a period of time after returning to the States. It was during this time period, just after the wedding, when according to Blaget, he began noticing some very old, yet familiar delusions running through his mind. The same kind of thoughts that made him believe cameras were hidden behind electrical outlets. The ones that made him believe he would be asked to become a secret agent. After a few days of the delusions, he began believing that people around him were all part of some great conspiracy, a test that was being given to him by unseen, unidentifiable forces. And part of the test was that he couldn't reveal to anyone he was aware of the test itself. In short, Blaget was losing his grip on reality. As the days continued, Blaget claimed that the delusions increased, and he became convinced that Caroline had been replaced by an identical imposter, a lookalike fraud who was also part of the vast conspiracy. Eventually, he became convinced that killing her was the only way for him to end the test. On May 31st, Blaget and Caroline took their final doses of chloroquine. That night, Blaget made up his mind to kill the woman sleeping soundly next to him, the lookalike imposter who'd replaced his wife. Two nights later, on June 2nd, when Caroline and Blaget were getting dressed for their nightly jog, 
Blaget secretly brought along a yellow Stanley utility knife, determined to put his horrific plan into action. Not far into the jog, Blaget allowed Caroline to take the lead and run in front of him. He then picked up a discarded piece of metal piping that had been strewn alongside of the trail and began attacking Caroline with it. Caroline screamed, Blaget, what are you doing? And then tried her best to defend herself against the attack. Blaget, however, pulled out his box cutter and used it to slice her throat. Leaving her for dead on the side of the trail, Blaget then ran home, throwing his clothes into the fireplace and set it ablaze using a can of paint thinner as an accelerant. He also started another fire purposely somewhere else in the apartment. Once the fire was set, he went to the bathroom to wash himself and took a look in the mirror. To his horror, he said he saw he was covered in his wife's blood. According to Blaget, that's the moment he began to freak out and decided he was going to take his own life as well. He then drove to the state park, intending to jump off a bridge into one of Ithaca's many deep gorges, but he couldn't actually bring himself to do it, so he returned home and grabbed another sharp knife before again returning to the park's parking lot. This was the very moment Blaget was spotted by the park officer, Gerald Lewis. After his prolonged interviews with Blaget in prison, Dr. Hotalin reached a startling and controversial conclusion. Blaget, he claimed, had suffered from what he called a substance-induced depressive psychosis, and the substance he believed was responsible was chloroquine, the antimalarial drug. Chloroquine-induced psychosis is an incredibly rare but documented side effect of the drug, and Dr. Hotalin believed Blaget's schizotypal personality disorder gave him an underlying vulnerability to psychosis. He believed that Blaget's stress and anxiety, combined with the rare side effects of chloroquine, caused him to have a psychotic break. Specifically, he suggested that at the time of the murder, Blaget was suffering from Capgras syndrome, a very real and very bizarre delusional disorder, where a person believes that a loved one has been replaced by an imposter. If this sounds like something from the plot of a science fiction movie, that's because it is. Capgras syndrome has been sensationalized in movies like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Faculty, Total Recall, and The Stepford Wives. However, in real life, it's led to horrific events, almost stranger than fiction. A research paper from 1986 famously recounts a Capgras sufferer who believed his stepfather was replaced by a lookalike robot. Because of this delusion, the man decapitated his stepfather in an attempt to look for the batteries and microfilm he was convinced he would find inside. To help explain this utterly bizarre condition is Dr. Christina Frazzani. Dr. Hu Talon asserted that the reason Blaget killed his wife was imposter syndrome. Capgras is a brief psychotic episode that causes a person to believe the body of their loved one, a person they're used to being around and with whom they were just interacting with normally, has been taken over by an imposter. This usually occurs after some years of dementia and is associated with brain atrophy and enlargement of posterior ventricles, which basically means that a person's visual input isn't interpreted correctly and their perception is impacted. 
The facial recognition is there, but the emotional recognition just isn't. So someone who looks familiar is interpreted to be an imposter. You can imagine the fear and confusion of a person experiencing this phenomenon. They feel severe anxiety and confusion and are often violent towards the person because they think they've done something to their loved one. You can also imagine the fear and confusion of the person whose loved one is all of a sudden accusing them of being someone else, especially if the person becomes volatile. Schizotypal personality disorder may have caused Blage to be more susceptible to another delusional episode occurring at the same time, like Capgra. Capgras syndrome usually occurs when there was already another functional or organic psychotic illness, like schizophrenia or dementia. In this case, the chloroquine and existing personality disorder were thought to have exacerbated the delusions. Although I've never evaluated Blage myself, and therefore can only explore possibilities, it does seem that he was greatly impacted by some of these patterns before and after the murder. Therefore, it would somewhat fit if he did have Capgras syndrome at the time of the murder, but there's just no way to actually know. And it's important to note that the prevalence of Capgras syndrome is very low in non-dementia patients, only about 0.12%. Using this as the basis of his defense, Blaget pleaded not guilty at his second-degree murder trial in April 2010. Officially, he entered a defense of extreme emotional disturbance, which, much like pleading insanity, is an affirmative defense, meaning that the burden of proof is actually on the defendant to make their case beyond a preponderance of the evidence. In Blaget's case, his second-degree murder charge would likely be reduced to manslaughter if the defense was able to convince a jury that Blaget was experiencing a psychotic break during Caroline's murder. The defense chose to use the hours and hours of videotaped psychiatric interviews as the main thrust of their arguments to the jury. Dr. Hotalin also testified as an expert witness on the stand telling the jury about the conclusions he'd reached regarding chloroquine, schizotypal personality disorder, and Capgras delusion. The prosecution, however, told the jury another story and put forth a respected psychiatrist of their own, Dr. Gary Horwitz, to challenge the assertions made by the defense, and to say they disagreed would be a massive understatement. Dr. Horwitz had also spent a good amount of time examining Blaget, but he'd come to the exact opposite conclusions. He thought Blaget was simply malingering or faking his illness as a way to outsmart the system. In his opinion, Blaget had murdered Caroline because he was stressed out and saw Caroline as an obstacle to a life he wanted. He also disagreed wholeheartedly with the theory that chloroquine had anything to do with Blaget's mental state or Caroline's murder. The amount of premeditation and planning that had gone into her murder seemed, on its face, to discredit the defense's theory of a sudden psychotic break. Even by Blaget's own admission, he'd been planning to kill her for several days in advance. His actions after the murder didn't fit neatly into the defense's theory either. His attempts at destroying evidence and committing suicide seemed to suggest that Blaget was exhibiting awareness of a guilty conscience, meaning 
that he was clearly grounded in reality enough to understand that he'd just done something horribly wrong and completely unforgivable. The trial ultimately came down to these two dueling psychiatrists, two respected, credentialed, and expert psychiatrists with diametrically opposing opinions on the same subject. Which one the jury would choose to believe was anyone's guess. At first, the jury was split during deliberation, with eight members siding with the prosecution and four with the defense. But over the course of the next several hours, they would reach a unanimous decision. Upon further examination of the psychiatric videotapes, the jurors noticed that almost all of Blaget's suspected psychotic symptoms developed only after Dr. Hotalin had mentioned them first. As one juror told a reporter later, he seemed to take on symptoms as the doctor asked about them. Once this pattern became apparent to the jury, one by one, they all came to agree with the prosecution's version of the story. Their verdict of guilty essentially rejected the defense's claim of Capgras syndrome entirely. Instead, what they saw was a calculated, cold-blooded murderer who'd selfishly taken the life of a woman who had so much to offer humanity. At Blaget's sentencing hearing, Caroline's father brought a green urn containing Caroline's ashes and placed it upon the prosecution's table during the proceedings. Today is about Caroline, he told the court. In this green casket lies her remains. We thought it would be appropriate for this convicted murderer to see what is left of his beautiful wife. That's all there is. Before the judge handed down the maximum sentence of 25 years to life, the prosecutor summed up the tragedy of Caroline's murder with these words. Caroline was studying to cure diseases, so her death was not just a loss to her family and friends. In talking with some of her advisors, there appeared to be no ceiling on the contributions she may have made in the field of science, research, and biology. We don't know what sort of loss that will be to humanity entirely, and we'll never know. Follow The Minds of Madness on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and all other podcast platforms. If you'd like to support this show and get some extra perks, like early release and ad-free episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. Our website can be found at mindsofmadnesspodcast.com. To find us on Facebook and Instagram, search The Minds of Madness, and on Twitter using the handle at Madness Pod. To listen to The Minds of Madness and other Wondery shows at free, start your free trial of Wondery Plus at wonderyplus.com slash madness.